0: So, brothers and sisters, as we said last week, uh, here is a passage that is uh, probably not unfamiliar to most of us. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God. So, here we have the the armor of God passage uh, uh, from the closing chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And what's interesting about this passage is that it seems, on on one level, to almost come out of nowhere. Uh, Paul has not used the metaphor of war or or battle up to this point in his letter, when suddenly, as it would seem, he he is calling his readers to put on armor. And yet, this shouldn't surprise us. Uh, completely uh, within the overall span of Scripture because the theme of warfare uh, or battle is certainly not an unfamiliar one within God's Word. But as Paul takes up the metaphor of armor and uh, standing firm against the schemes of the of the devil, uh, he does so on the heels of two and a half chapters of instruction in which he calls the church to obedience and, and faithfulness. Uh, the opening three chapters, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, are largely doctrinal in nature. It, it really follows the same kind of pattern that we have seen already in, uh, in his letter to the Romans, that first he deals with doctrine, both sin and salvation, and then follows with um, a, a section on, well, now what? What's our response? What is, uh, what is the life that God would have us to, to lead? And we see that same pattern here um, in uh, his letter to the Ephesians. So starting with chapter 4, uh, he comes around to the application, we might call it. Uh, he writes in uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul, in essence, summarizes the opening three chapters of Ephesians with the words, the calling to which you have been called. And now the message is to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And the Apostle goes on to address the the unity of the church. I'll just do a little summary here since we're not dealing with the entire book of Ephesians in this series. Uh, He goes on to address the unity of the church, uh, the speech of Christians, uh, sexual purity, uh, the relationship between wives and, and husbands, between children and parents, and between servants and masters, So that when when he writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God, his point is made clear. Obedience and faithfulness to Christ is a matter of doing battle. The connection is made for us that obedience will always be a struggle for Christians. And that this struggle is nothing less Than a battle. And from the beginning to the end, we must remember that our victory is assured in Christ. We are not fighting this battle in order to achieve victory, but to realize the victory that we already have by faith in Christ. We must fight for obedience, and faithfulness will not come easily. But victory is assured because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. This is why Paul begins this passage by writing, Finally, be strong in the Lord. That is, be strong in Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the knowledge and the assurance of all that Christ has done for us. And this is how we do that. This is how to be strong in Christ by putting on the whole armor of God. So this morning, let's consider two of the pieces of the armor of God. Uh, there are six or seven in all, depending on how you count them. And this morning, we'll consider two related pieces. Number one, the belt of truth. And number two, the sword of the spirit however before we do that um let's pick up on one piece of paul's instruction that we haven't dealt with yet and yet might be confusing why does paul uh, refer to our enemy as the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places i'm wondering if that has struck you as being somewhat confusing uh, This wasn't dealt with last time. It makes a good starting point for this time. Uh, The answer comes as we remember that the kingdom of Satan is not operating alongside of the kingdom of God. This is not a Sunday school lesson. Uh, Otherwise, I'd have a chalkboard or a whiteboard to draw the the illustration that I'm thinking of. Um, But imagine, if you will, two circles drawn... Um, uh, one representing the kingdom of Satan, and the the second beside it representing the kingdom of God under the reign of Christ. This is how we are given to think of the world side by side. Uh, there's the kingdom of Satan and the and the kingdom of Christ. Well, if you if you think that way, then you think wrongly. <laughs> Uh, The two kingdoms do not exist side by side, but one is within the other. But which is within the other? Does the kingdom of Satan exist within the kingdom of Christ, or does the kingdom of Christ exist within the kingdom of Satan? It's not an easy answer, and it depends on your perspective. Uh, I have a picture saved on, on my computer of, uh, of the sun going down, uh, but in the, back, in the foreground uh, is, a, is a basketball hoop. And, uh, and, and so the angle and the perspective of the picture is of the sun going down through the basketball hoop. Maybe you've seen that picture before. Uh, as if the sun were, were a basketball Uh, It's a clever picture that someone thought to take, and and it illustrates the idea of perspective. And for Christians, it's important that we always take the perspective, or we might call it the point of reference, of God's Word. There are two kingdoms at work in this world, with two kings, two rulers with real authority. The first is Christ our King. The second is Satan. We talked last time about how easy it is for us to discount Satan, to ignore or belittle his place and role uh, in this world. But as soon as we acknowledge Satan, we must be careful to understand the the relationship between his kingdom and authority and that of Christ our Lord. Christ is ruling over all, even over sin and, and evil in this world, beyond our understanding of it. But Satan has been allowed his place and, and, and role of authority in this world. If we deny that, we, we miss the clear teaching of God's Word, and we fail to understand the world we live in, and thus we fail to understand, really, what the Christian life itself is. So all of this to understand why Paul has Satan ruling, as it says in verse 12, as the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Does this contradict the the teaching of our Lord that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Or the testimony of John in the book of Revelation that from all eternity Satan has been thrown down out of heaven? Well, no, the, the reference here is to eternity. Uh, the reference is, is to the truth that, that there are two kingdoms at work in this world and tied into this perspective is the teaching of God's word that to be saved is to be brought out of one kingdom And into another. Why can't we just talk about being saved? Uh, Why can't we just see salvation as being forgiven of our sin and counted righteous before God? Well, the answer is because God's word says more than that. So that we would understand our salvation even more. Uh, if, If we would live out the Christian life, we must understand the two kingdoms of this world. To be saved is to be brought from one kingdom into another. Jesus even said in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the first way to be strong in Christ... The first way to be strong in the strength of his might is to fasten on the belt of truth. In other words, the fight for obedience and faithfulness must begin by knowing the truth of God's word. So that right from the start, we, we begin to see what Paul is talking about with each piece of the armor of God. This is not intended... This, this this passage from Paul is not intended to be just stirring language. Uh, this is not some disconnected, abstract metaphor that is just supposed to sound good on our ears. We need to be careful not to respond to this passage simply by saying "rah rah, uh, hip hip hooray." In other words, the apostle Paul is not just is not just trying to be a cheerleader, but but to be a teacher of the truth. And his first call in putting on the armor of God is to fasten on. Are we ready this morning to fasten on, if we've not already, fasten on the belt of truth? So let's just point out that there are at least two hurdles to clear in fastening on the belt of truth first hurdle is uh, set up for us by a, a certain version of spirituality in our day. In certain parts of the church today, truth and, and learning and and study and doctrine have been set aside in exchange for cheerleader spirituality. So it's especially important for us to notice that, that Paul begins with the belt of truth, it's it's intentionally, I think, first in Paul's inventory of the armor of God. And important for us also to, to notice that each piece of armor to follow is to be put on exactly by what we know and by what we remember of the knowledge of God's word that we, that we apply in the various situations and the struggles of our life. But modern evangelical spirituality would often have us to take off the belt of truth, to set it aside, and to focus instead on spiritual experience, or a rather groundless, inspirational, and, uh, and exciting moment. And that's about all it ends up being, is a moment. Now, when we give this diagnosis of our day, it's important to clarify that we're 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 not speaking against all emotion and inspiration. To be sure, Paul himself in this passage is is using very stirring language. But the question is, what stirs us? What is it that raises our emotions? Is Is it just the language itself Or is it the truth being expressed by the language? And so if we read this passage disconnected from the rest of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we misuse this passage. And we fail to do the exact exact thing that Paul is calling to do by fastening on the belt of truth. Isn't that sadly ironic that that the church has often championed this passage. It's, it's a very popular passage. The church has often said, yes, yes, put on the full armor of God. And songs have been written about putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace as shoes fit for readiness. But in doing so, in handling this passage in that way, the point has been missed Almost entirely. To be sure, we, we have great reason to be stirred. I, I want us to be stirred this morning. There's great reason to be stirred to action in the Christian life. But our, our inspiration, our joy, our hope, our peace, our courage must come from the truth as we fasten on the belt of truth. Let us recall the words and claim of Christ when he said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Indeed, Christ himself is the word of God. Christ himself is the truth, which takes us right back to the words of Paul to open this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The Lord, Christ, is the truth. So that being strong in the Lord is to be strong in the Lord Jesus. And that happens as we fasten on the belt of truth. But the second hurdle to clear in, in order to fasten on the belt of truth is, is the relativism of our day. Our wider culture would tell us that truth is relative, which is another way of essentially saying that there is no truth. Truth is relative means that, well, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me, and it's, it's up to each person to decide what is true for him or herself. It's fair to say that nobody really believes that truth is relative, uh, at least not consistently so, because the same person who claims that truth is relative is not going to shrug and walk away if someone commits some injustice against them. They're not going to say, well, that guy just stole my money, but I guess for him the truth is that he didn't steal my money, or that... It's okay for him to steal my money. Who am I to question his truth? Nobody does that. Instead, whenever the argument uh, gets made that truth is relative, there's always an agenda behind it. Let's just understand that. There's always a, a selective application to the argument. And, of course, the area of thought and knowledge that is most targeted as, uh, uh, as relative is religious truth. And, and so even though the heavens declare the glory of God in the sky above his handiwork, uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, yet each person is considered free to say what's true for them. God exists, He doesn't exist, God is this, God is that, it's up to you to decide what's true. And even though, as Romans 1 says, what can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them, His invisible attributes being clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, Yet each person is considered free to decide for themselves who God is or what God is and free to make for themselves uh, the God of their own choosing. Which brings us to the point of recognizing that religious relativism is nothing new. We like to think, of course, that our own day is so unique and special and, and so horrible As as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. This has all been before and is now and and will be until Christ comes again. To one degree or another, human beings have been practicing religious relativism relativism since the fall. Because religious relativism is really just another way to say idolatry. Whether we call it relativism or idolatry, it's it's a matter of man making a god or gods according to his own imagination. Now, perhaps none of us would go so far as to say there is no God or to say, well, I get to decide who or, or what I want God to be. But what we are tempted to do is to pick and choose from the teachings of God's word. We are are surely tempted to say, well, let's preach Christ, uh, and yet while neglecting the study of the Word of God in order to know who Christ is. Or to say, uh, let's preach the gospel, but without going to Scripture to know and understand what the gospel is. We may not say, uh, who's to say what truth is, But the call to fasten on the belt of truth does not allow us to say, I believe in Christ and in the gospel. Now don't bother me with the details. God's word makes clear who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And such truth is certainly not relative. And neither is it unimportant. The truth is right here in our hands, in our hands. It's right here before our eyes. And the call of the Holy Spirit, sounded through the Apostle Paul, is to fasten on the belt of truth. So the question of application is, are you wearing the belt of truth And notice that it's the belt of truth, which I think is important to note because as much as the truth of God's word belongs in our minds, yet here the truth is a a piece of useful equipment and armor. In other words, the truth of God's word is not just what we know and the right answers to the questions. The truth of God's word is certainly Uh, It certainly begins with what we know to be true and what we have clearly in, in mind. But the truth of God's word must be used in our lives, shaping the faith by which we live, securing the hope and the joy and the peace that we have in Christ, applied to the decisions that we make and the attitudes that we exhibit and the places that we go and the paths that we walk in this life. So are you wearing the belt of truth? Are are you taking up the word of God regularly and often? We all have jobs and responsibilities that take much of our time, and legitimately so. It's a legitimate need uh, for us to work, and there's a legitimate need for our relaxation, our recreation, And our entertainment. But the the call of God's word is to be in the word. And so much so that God's word comes to be in us. We are to be in God's word that his word would be in us. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here is where we take up the... The third point, which we have already begun, because the sword of the Spirit, you see the connection between the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In fact, it's through the Word of God that we put on the, uh, all the other pieces of, of armor, and perhaps you recognize that we're right back where we started with truth. So, so we have a, a kind of set of bookends here within Paul's armor of God, uh, starting with the belt of truth, which can hardly be a reference to anything other than the word of God, and ending with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and that equips us to fasten on the belt of truth. But notice here the connection made for us between the Spirit and the Word. Here is a Reformed distinctive that we should revisit and reinforce often, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. And the ministry of God's Word is by the Holy Spirit. The point is to understand that the Holy Spirit is not given us for the sake of ecstatic experience, uh, but instead for the knowledge of of the Word of God. And the point is not firstly what we feel, but what we know. And then what we feel by what we know. So again, this this is not an argument against emotion, By all means, our emotions must be involved in our faith and our worship. But such emotions must arise from the knowledge of God's Word. And if the Spirit is at work in us through the Word of God, then what we feel as a result of what we know will include the fear of God, a sense of alarm for sin, A deep despair of ourselves, all leading to the hope and the joy and the peace that come from faith in Christ. In John 16, verse 12, our Lord said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into All truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So here is another passage that shows us the the partnership, the connection between word and spirit. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, imparting to us the very word of God. Word and Spirit. Spirit and Word. A partnership, if you will, that we must not divide what God has joined together. Let no one separate. I've heard it put this way, that if you have the Spirit without the Word, you get puffed up. If you have the Word without the Spirit... You dry up. But if we have the Word and the Spirit together, we grow up. And we grow up into Christ. So picture, if you will, because Paul's imagery is is clear. Picture the belt and the sword within the armor of God. And it makes sense that the two go together because the sword fits into the belt. The Apostle Paul's teaching is certainly very visual. His, his original readers were surely used to seeing soldiers. We're used, maybe not to the same degree, but we're used to seeing police officers who are carrying a gun. And uh, kids can be drawn, adults as well, drawn to uh, looking at that gun and, and being interested in it, if not... Uh, somewhat amazed by it so that's the imagery that paul is using here that he's saying consider the even the roman soldier consider his armor consider what he's wearing and understand that god in christ provides you with that very armor in a spiritual sense of course but in a very real sense. And yet with the truth of God's Word at its very heart. So we're going to continue to go through uh, the inventory that Paul gives us here of the armor of God in in coming weeks, the Lord willing. Um, Sometimes I think we'll be taking a couple at a time as we did this morning, the belt of truth, the the sword of the Spirit. Uh, But otherwise we'll be considering the armor of God that we're provided, but it starts with truth. It starts with God's Word, and only by tr- the truth of God's Word does it proceed. Let's be prepared for that, and uh, I hope you'll anticipate uh, the several sermons that are, are yet to come. Let's, uh, let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not give us any kind of bare call to do something or to be something or to go somewhere, uh, in 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 the strength that we would have. But instead, you you always equip where you call. And so, as you as you call us to live the Christian life, so you also call us to to do so by way of that strength that you ha- have given us in Christ Jesus. And so. Grant us to be lovers of your truth. Grant us to be uh, boys and girls, men and women of your word. And may we, may we love to be in your word, and may we gain richly from it each and every time we open it, whether by ourselves or in our families or together as, uh, as a church here uh, each and every Lord's Day. Bless us, O Lord, in this way, and we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.